The Jungle Marathon, it's a 254-kilometre uh, endurance foot race uh, through the jungles of Brazil. And over seven gruelling days, runners uh, plunge through tropical rainforests with giant boa constrictors, scorpions, and a thousand varieties of spiders and stinging ants for company. Uh, this year, competitors will pay £2,500 uh, sterling uh, each for the privilege of facing the hardships of this race. Uh, they wade through swamps infested with piranha fish and anacondas. Uh, they cross rivers with caimans or South American alligators uh, uh, which lurk just be below the surface. Um, the 40 degree heat and 90% plus humidity, cut and blistered feet, slippery, muddy uh, tracks, mosquitoes, constant fire ant bites, dehydration and lack of sleep combine to test the endurance of the most experienced ultramarathon runners in the world. According to CNN, this is the world's toughest endurance race. Uh, it starts on the 5th of October this year, so it's not too late to start <laughs> training and, uh, and be part of it. Uh, John uh, Stratford, seen here in the blue t-shirt, uh, served as a Royal Marine Commando for 14 years and so he was used to enduring all kinds of hardships in order to get the mission accomplished. Um, he entered the Jungle Marathon for the first time in uh, 2013 and came 12th. He trained for three months to prepare himself for Brazil, but after the event he said that even though it was a gruelling test of his body, uh, the greater test was the way the race tested his mind. You see, the Jungle Marathon is a, a voluntary test of endurance where the, the athletes are they're really highly motivated to achieve the honour of finishing the course. So what will keep you going when every part of your body is, is crying out for you to stop this self-inflicted torture? Uh, he, he says, the race is a simple test of mental resilience. You need the ability to, to block out the fact that it's a 254-kilometre race and to not even see it as uh, 8 to 12 kilometres to the next checkpoint, but to literally break it down as the next bend in the track or the other side of the river. Well, already in this letter to Timothy, uh, Paul has stated that the Christian life too will test your mind. It will test your resolve to trust God. Fear and shame are likely to cause even faithful believers like Timothy to veer off course. Uh, according to the Apostle Paul, serving God in a way that honours him, that promotes the gospel about Jesus, that accomplishes the mission that God has given to each of us to live a godly life in this world, is going to be tough. It may not have the physical intensity of the jungle marathon, but it will test your faith, it will test your ability to persevere, even to breaking point at times. And so here Paul will address questions like, how do we prepare so that we'll finish the mission that God has given us? What sort of thinking will help you to persevere and not give up? You see, this part of Paul's letter to Timothy is about endurance. The, uh, the idea of enduring hardship and suffering occurs four times in these 13 verses. And Paul is not giving this advice out of a textbook um, or from something that he's heard at a conference. He's speaking from personal experience. 
He's writing this letter from a dark, damp, stinking Roman holding prison. Uh, his own belief that the gospel is, is true, that God can be trusted without reservation, is being tested to the limits of his endurance. And he's not, trying, he's not writing to, to warn Timothy of hardships that he should try to avoid. He's preparing Timothy for hardships that he must embrace with courage and faith. Uh, Paul, of course, as we've already seen, is expecting to be put to death in the near future because his preaching and teaching of the gospel about Jesus has, has upset, uh, it's offended the Roman Empire. He wants Timothy to come to him in Rome to, to, to comfort him, to minister to him. And he wants him to come as quickly as possible. And he's setting out in writing what needs to be done when he's gone and how Timothy is to continue in faithful leadership. So in the part that we're looking at this morning, Paul begins in chapter 2 and verse 1 with a, a key piece of encouragement by urging Timothy. He says, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, of course, this is the key to all that follows. And what leads Paul, I think, to say this, at least in part, is, what others have, is that others have not been strong. Others have failed. Look back a few verses at verse 15 of chapter 1. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figulus and Homogenes. The very people that Paul was depending on, possibly uh, to testify on his behalf, had failed to show up at court, maybe out of a fear of being identified with Paul. Uh, there was one exception, as we saw last time, a man named Onesiphorus, whom Paul says came to him and was not ashamed of his chain. So the others were ashamed of Paul, uh, perhaps ashamed also of the gospel at that point. But Paul is saying that this is not to be so with you, Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, whereas the jungle marathon is a test of personal ability, uh, where, where runners reach the finish line by their own physical strength and their, their own mental strength and endurance, the Christian life is a journey that can only be made by trusting entirely in someone else, in Jesus. Human pride, of course, is therefore the great barrier to becoming a Christian in the first place. So what does Paul mean when he tells Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? He means that Timothy is to rely on what God has done for him in the past and God's provision for him in the present. It's not based on what Timothy deserves or his own skills or his abilities, but what God has given him freely in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and here we see how central the gospel is once again. In his death on the cross and his victory over death by rising from, from the grave, Jesus has obtained God's favour for those who trust him. It's not just forgiveness for the way that we've treated God, but he's, he's changed our hearts. He's given us the ability and the desire to obey him and to do the things that he asks us to do. Uh, in the next talk, we're going to see how the word of God is fundamental. Uh, it's a fundamental part of the grace that comes to you and me through the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus has given us his spirit 
the Holy Spirit uh, to convict us, to uh, direct us by his word and to give us the courage to act. And like Timothy, uh, you and I are not to be weak and ineffective. We're urged in chapter 1, unsure of our ability to do what God says, but we're to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the main task that God has given us as his church is that of joining him in the building of the kingdom of Jesus. God is building his kingdom, isn't he? And he's bringing into the kingdom the people that he's chosen to save. Paul reminded Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 9 that salvation is all about what God is doing. Remember, he said, that God saves his people. He calls them to live a holy life, not because of anything that they have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And the means that God uses is the telling of the gospel about Jesus, that momentous news. When people hear the gospel, those who are being saved are given the faith to believe it. We know that's the process that God uses. And so we're not to keep this good news to ourselves, but to tell others for their sake and for God's sake. The kingdom of God grows as the church takes the gospel to the world and as God's people live out their faith in the, in the community. Again, we saw yesterday how living for God embraces the whole of life, especially our labour. Now, is any of this easy? Well, it's not. And most of you here already know very well that it's not. Uh, when men and women sign up for the Jungle Marathon, they, they know beforehand that it's going to involve many hardships. And that, of course, is what the attraction is for them, which is a bit bizarre, isn't it? Um, but they anticipate the, the difficulties and they seek to prepare for them. And Paul is saying here that, that Timothy and all of us who are following Jesus on the, the great mission of living for him in a broken world should prepare ourselves for hardship. There is going to be hardship. Endure hardship. He writes in verse 3. Not avoid it. Endure it. Endure it. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, telling the gospel and living God's way in the exciting enterprise of life in this world is full of difficulty. You should expect hardship. It will come in a thousand different ways and forms. It will come because sometimes you will make sinful choices and then you'll have to live with the, the awful consequences and work through them. It will come because you'll have to deal with the sin of others in your family and in your church and at work and in the community. It will come when people make false accusations against you and cause you unjustified trouble. It will come because, as we considered in the first talk, most of us are, are naturally fearful and overcoming that will always be a struggle. Uh, hardship will come because, as followers of Jesus, we're seeking to live by God's standards and God's directions and that will put us offside with the world which, underneath its respectable exterior, is hostile to God. It will come because none of us leave sin completely behind when God brings us into the church. And sin in the church causes conflict and, and brings hardship. 
It will come because as a result of the fall, we have to face the, the trials and the reality of mental illness and disease. And there will be a struggle to support those who are suffering and, and to help sort out the mess that results. It will come because Satan loves to cause trouble for God's people. So to complete the mission, to, to go the distance, and we'll look more of that, about that in the next talk, um, to, to do the work will require an attitude that enables you to endure hardship, to face it and bear it in a way that pleases God, that brings honour to his kingdom. And to help Timothy understand why he is to endure hardship, uh, you'll notice that Paul gives him three illustrations, that of the soldier, the athlete and the farmer. Uh, so first he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Now, Paul, of course, would have been very familiar with the character of the Roman soldier. Uh, the Roman soldier was renowned for his discipline, uh, obedience and loyalty. A soldier's life is governed by his mission as determined by his commanding officer. Paul is not saying here that Timothy is to shun ordinary life or marriage or anything like that. Rather, the call is to a wholehearted devotion like, a, like the soldier, you know, without looking back, uh, without looking for an easier path. My, my grandfather served as an Anzac at Gallipoli and uh, I've read some of the history of the Gallipoli, Gallipoli campaign and uh, I've been staggered by the, 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 the great hardships and, and the immense suffering of soldiers on both sides, the, you know, the, the Allies and the, and the Turks, under woeful conditions. Hardships come with the territory of being a soldier. You anticipate them, you, you deal with them according to your training and you endure them. And I think that's the, the gist of, of that illustration. He goes on then in verse 5. Uh, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. I think this, is, this one's a little bit harder to, to understand. Um, particularly, you know, what does Paul mean by according to the rules? Calvin says that Paul means to struggle and contend for as long as the rules require, or as long as God requires it, I guess that's what he means. Uh, perhaps that's, that's the gist of it. Uh, when people enter the jungle marathon, they do so understanding that there are strict rules. You, you cannot be assisted by any person on the race, except for the medical attendant. Uh, you must stick to the route, uh, which will take you through nasty swamps and across scary rivers. No shortcuts, or you're disqualified. And it seems that the point being made here by Paul's illustration is that God is the one who determines our course, and of course how we're to run it. His word sets out the guidelines of love and gentleness and humility and truthfulness and faithfulness with which we're to run. Uh, so we're to aim for the goal God has given us and, and we're to face the difficulties on the way that honours him. He has a purpose for each one. 
And then thirdly, Paul writes in verse 6, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Uh, back in the 1980s, Joy and I and our five kids lived amongst farmers for six years on our, our small property. We had 100 acres, they all had thousands. Um, and we were just the blow-ins from the city. <laughs> we weren't, we were, we weren't uh, even accepted. Um, our neighbours were, they were real farmers. Uh, they were up with the sun and often before it. Uh, they worked hard all day for at least six days a week, sometimes seven days, uh, to achieve a, a, a good harvest or to raise their livestock and they battled drought and weeds and disease, um, much of which we learnt about as we tried to farm some of our 100 acres, just as well we weren't depending on the income. Uh, the book of Proverbs tells us all hard work brings a profit but mere talk leads only to poverty and uh, it also says a sluggard does not plough in season so at harvest time he looks but he finds nothing. And Paul is saying I think that the Christian life is about, is about labouring hard, uh, coping with the hardships with a view to the harvest that is to come, the harvest that God will bring. It has a ter there's an eternal aspect to it. Uh, we're not saved by our hard work, of course. We know that. But having been brought into his kingdom by his grace, God expects us to be going about the work that he has set us to do. There's no escaping that. And this is what Paul's alluding to in verses 11 to 13. They're meant to be an encouragement to persevere and a, a warning against giving up. Like verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. There's a, there's a goal that we're heading towards. We will reign with the Lord Jesus over a renewed earth. This earth that we're living on now that's been corrupted by the, the fall is going to be renewed. Uh, back to the way that it was originally. Only better. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Uh, in verse 6, where Paul's talking about the hard-working farmer, he also alludes to some kind of reward. Uh, whether this is a reward for faithfulness that will be given in the new kingdom or whether it's a re the reward of seeing God powerfully at, at work now as he saves people and changes them to live for him, um, I'm not entirely sure. But I do know that Russell Crowe had some very something very important to say that applies to verse 12. That, that might surprise you. Um, in the movie Gladiator, he's playing the character called Maximus, and I just can't remember how it related to the, the plot, but um, Maximus utters a, a classic line that's worth repeating here. He says, What we do in life will echo in eternity. And of course we know that that, that is only true uh, in, in the good sense uh, when someone is living for the Lord Jesus. As we try to get things right in our families and raising our children, as we endure hardships of all kinds in our lives and in the church, in the community, um, especially those that arise from promoting God's kingdom and gospel values, what we do is not in vain because by God's grace, it will echo in eternity. 
And that makes it worthwhile. And that's certainly where Paul is heading. Uh, he wants us to be motivated by the gospel. Uh, whether you're changing a dirty nappy or fixing a broken pipe or, or having coffee with someone in order to encourage them or teaching a class of children in kids' church or going off to a foreign country to plant churches. The whole of life is to be motivated by the gospel. And this is especially so when it comes to enduring hardship. And that's why Paul says to Timothy in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. That's why he says it there. He's been talking about enduring hardship and he says uh, this is what you're to focus on uh, as you're going through hardship. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, or this is the gospel, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Um, as, as John Stratford completed the Jungle Marathon and his muscles were aching from the build-up of lactic acid and you know, the blisters on his feet were bursting, he knew that there, were, there was a way to endure. He said that the way to endure the suffering was not to think about the enormity of the race, but to focus on just getting to the next bend or, or crossing the present river and focus on that. And Paul is saying, well, there's a way that God has provided for his suffering people to endure. When hardship is pressing in on you as you live for God, the way to endure is to look to Jesus, to see his splendor, to see his majesty, to see what he has accomplished, to know from the evidence of the cross and resurrection that, that God is indeed working all things together for good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. To remember that God, what God has done for you, to remember who Jesus is, the promised king of God's people, descended from David, the Lord of the universe, risen from the dead, who has defeated death. And in the gospel we see the good outcome that results from suffering and hardship. We see God's victory at the cross snatched from the jaws of apparent defeat. In all of that, that terrible suffering, we see uh, an amazing, uh, an astonishing outcome. Uh, try to reflect the likeness of Jesus by being gracious to others who don't deserve it. Uh, like pressing on with what is right and pleasing to God, even when the outcome is uncertain. Think about the person of Jesus and his life of sacrifice. Think about the truth of the gospel and press on for the sake of the Lord Jesus uh, because God can be trusted with the outcome. Be encouraged that, that hardships that you are facing are not a sign that something has gone wrong with God's plan but that because of the nature of the mission and the, the brokenness and the sinfulness uh, of the world in which we live and serve Hardships are the norm. Get used to it. The Lord Jesus said in John 16.33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, you'll notice that I've listed endure suffering as the second point. I guess it's really part of the same big theme of endure suffering hardship, but
but I've listed it separately because I wanted to emphasise what, what Paul emphasises and that is that part of the hardship may involve very personal and deep suffering for, your, for yourself. It could be very deep and very difficult. Um, some hardships are external and, and they're stressful and they're difficult but some are very personal uh, such as Paul is suffering by being chained to a rock wall in a filthy prison cell. Um, I've seen two colleagues, uh, possibly more, but I, I can think of uh, two that I know well in Presbyterian ministry who've had complete breakdowns, you know, mental and physical, uh, as a result of the opposition and stress that they faced in gospel ministry in their parishes, uh, seeking to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then they ended up broken men. It was very personal suffering. It was humiliating. It was debilitating. Uh, but the Lord Jesus helped each one of them to recover over time. Uh, I know men and women who suffered serious personal injury in the, in the line of serving Jesus. Suffering as a result of living for God takes on many forms and, uh, and has many different causes. Uh, Joy and I suffered deep grief uh, when there was a complete breakdown of relationships in the leadership team at Charlestown back in 2008 uh, and sadly resulted in uh, the assistant pastor being dismissed by the session. It was terribly traumatic. Uh, and Paul makes it clear that in his case, his suffering is a direct result of his gospel ministry. This is my gospel. He loves it. He owns it for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Uh, so be aware that God may, may call you to suffer in a very personal way for his sake, for his purposes, for his kingdom, for what is true and for what is right, for the sake of the gospel, for some good endeavour that he calls you to. But if he does so, uh, also know that it's his loving and good purpose. And he's given you the grace to endure. Well, Paul continues in verse 9 by saying, Well, I might be chained, but listen, God's word is not chained. And by that, Paul means that, that our afflictions are not wasted. They're, they're not in vain. God's word continues to accomplish his purposes despite our circumstances. Uh, and, and also in view of them. <laughs> And the gospel will accomplish all that God has purposed. Uh, you know, amongst the first Christian missionaries to settle on the island of Tanna, which was then part of the New Hebrides, now part of Vanuatu, uh, was one of my great heroes of the faith, uh, John Payton and his wife Mary. They arrived there in 1858, and you may know their story well. Uh, in February of the next year, uh, 1859, uh, Mary joyously gave birth to a baby boy named Peter uh, on the island. But within five weeks, both Mary and baby Peter had died from a tropical disease. Um, John Payton was devastated uh, and he was alone. No other missionaries there to support him. You know, no, no, no mission team, no, no, no way of calling home and even telling anyone that his wife and son had just died. Uh, no way to bury them. He could, the, the ground was too hard, was 
coral. He had to cover their bodies with coral. And as he, he buried his wife and, and little Peter under this mound of coral, he wrote in his diary, But for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed me, uh, I would have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. But he laboured on alone then for three and a half years in terrible conditions. Uh, his life often... A tenor was inhabited by cannibals. Uh, they would have loved to have eaten him. And uh, his life was you know, in danger many times. After all of that, he only knew of one or two possible, not even certain, conversions. But at the cost of the lives of his first wife and son, you know, God had laid a foundation which would be built on 30 years later by John Payton's uh, son from his second marriage, Frank Payton. And the island was one for the Lord Jesus. God's word is not chained. See, all, all of that suffering, it, it looked like it could have been for nothing. But God had a purpose in it all. God's word is not chained. Uh, just before I retired from Charlestown, I was actually preaching, this was the last series that I preached through at, at Charlestown, uh, it was Second Timothy. And uh, we had a lady um, named Veronica and her seven-year-old son, Charlie, from the island of Tanner, uh, worshipping with us for a few months. And uh, Charlie was having operations at the John Hunter to fix his club feet and was being paid for lovingly by Rotary. But the, the thing that struck me was that here was a lady who had been converted to Jesus on the island of Tanner in a, in a direct line, if you like, spiritual line from John Payton. Um, the word of God is not chained. Writes Paul, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That is, so that the, the elect, so that those whom God has chosen to save might be saved by the hearing of the gospel. That they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's his motivation. This is extreme endurance, isn't it? Uh, Paul was prepared to endure whatever the Roman authorities might do to him, whatever mischief the enemies of the gospel might come up with, you know, conspire against him because he loved the purposes of God to save his people. He loved the elect, all those whom God had, has purposed to save through the death of Jesus. And if God required it, then he would willingly endure anything, anything to see lost men and women and children brought to faith in the Lord Jesus. God is calling us to be willing for the sake of his saving purpose declared in the gospel to endure everything. That is, whatever God might call you to endure. That's what everything is. Uh, we may, might think that our hardships hardly compare with that of Paul or John Payton, but they're real to us uh, and God is working through us just the same. Uh, God's word to us this morning is saying, press on faithfully, serving the Lord. Be ready to endure hardship. The gospel is our motivation. 
and not just through your partnership in the gospel as a church family, but in every aspect of your life, raising your children, running a school class, loving your neighbour, dealing with broken relationships in your family, just living day by day in a way that brings honour to God in a redemptive fashion. And when the hardships are getting you really down, Paul says, keep looking to Jesus. Remember Jesus and be strong in the grace that is found only in him.